Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. And welcome to News from the Torah. Today is November 9th, 2022, the 15th day of the Hebrew month of Cheshvan. And this week we are reading the Torah portion of Vayera. This Torah portion is filled with stories about the life of Avram Avinu, the first Jew who went through 10 trials and tribulations, ending with Akedah the binding of his son, Yitzchak. And today I'd like to talk about Avram Avinu, his qualities, the DNA of loving kindness and help, but also fear of heaven and connection to God that permeated Avram Avinu's life and that he has bequeathed to the Jewish people and how that plays out in our everyday life. And, of course, it's a week after Israel's election and the surprising and exciting election results are in. The Israeli politicians are working hard on putting together a new government, which is planned to be sworn in within about a week to 10 days. So we'll talk about that, the changes, the tectonic changes in the Israeli society that after Five election campaigns have finally created a decisive victory that will probably allow Netanyahu and the Likud to reign for the next four to five years. So after a long period of instability, it looks like we are looking forward to a period of stability, of a stable government that hopefully we'll be able to do good things to create more progress and more prosperity in Israel. So these two subjects, the story of this week's Torah portion, the life of Avram Avinu, and Israel's elastic election, and the surprising nexus of these two themes will be the story of this episode of News from the Torah. So, in last week's Torah portion, Lech Lecha, Avram is told to leave his father's house, to leave his country, to leave his birth home, and to go forward. There's just one problem. He's never told where to go. And it is a few verses later that we find out that Avram came to the land of Canaan, to modern-day Israel, to the Holy Land, so one way or the other, he must have figured out the destination. But the missing destination is a glaring omission in the Torah portion itself. God is very specific about the places that Avram has to leave, not only his country, but after telling him to leave his country, he tells him to leave his birth home and his motherland and after being so specific about where he has to leave, there's no mention of where he has to go. That sounds like a glaring omission. I mean, imagine you leaving home to go to an event and you are left to your own devices to figure out the venue. That's sort of like what happened with Avram in the Torah. 
So this week I heard a beautiful class by Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. I really strongly urge you to go on YouTube or um, um, any other podcast platform that you use and uh, find his classes, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. He gives several classes every week and every class he gives is really almost like a therapy session. So he asks this very um, glaring question and he brings a beautiful explanation from one of the rebbes of the Gera Hasidut. So Gera is one of the Hasidic dynasties and one of the rebbes of Gera brings a following answer. It's not only that Avram is commanded to leave a physical geographic locale called Haran and go to another physical geographic locale called Israel or Canaan or the Promised Land. What every person who follows the way of Avram has to do, starting with Avram himself, is to leave the consciousness of his birthplace, the inborn and the nurtured self, the person that you are because this is how you were born and how you were brought up, and to start off on a journey to a new destination which you really don't know what it is, to become this new amazing person that you don't know who that person is or what it looks like, but to basically come back to yourself. The Parsha starts with Lech Lecha, go to yourself, and you don't know what that perfect ultimate self is, so you cannot be told where to go. It's a journey that is just as important as the destination, actually more important. You're told to start off on the journey, and the destination will reveal itself further down, and that really sounds like the story of life. Every day we start off and we don't know what the day will bring. Every week we start off and we don't know what that will will bring. Very often we're surprised by events. We have plans, we have to-do lists, we have things we want to go, things we want to do, but then events change and we're brought to different destinations, to different events, to different um, uh, venues. And what we need to do is to be open and flexible to embrace these new events, to embrace these new venues, to embrace these new circumstances, and find ourselves in them, to find the best way out. And these experiences of journeys, of venues and events and circumstances which we never planned but met along the way, really shape who we are and the choices we make in these surprising circumstances very much build our character. So when you start off on this journey of life, you have absolutely no clue where you're going to get to. And you may plan and you may want to control that journey, but good luck with that. And I think a very funny example of that in my life is that a few years ago, we traveled to the United States to visit my parents with a bunch of my kids. And when I say bunch, it's a large bunch. And on our way back from the States, I think we had like eight or nine or 10 suitcases. And we weren't going to go straight home. We were going to go to our in-laws who we haven't seen for a while. 
from the airport to my in-laws to spend Shabbat, and then we plan to go home. So with a bunch of kids and 10 suitcases, I wasn't going to go through all the suitcases and pack them all at my mother-in-law's. So very logically, I packed one suitcase, which was the weekend suitcase, the mother-in-law suitcase, would get to my mother-in-law, would unpack one suitcase, I would have everything we need for that Shabbat, and then I don't have to open any other bags. So sure enough, we get from the States to Israel, we get to the airport, we get off the plane, we start picking up our suitcases, and guess what? Out of the 10 suitcases, nine show up. The one that doesn't show up, the one that gets lost and comes back to us a week later is the one suitcase that I packed for uh, that Shabbat to take to my mother-in-law. It was almost like God was waving to me and saying, hey, you think you're in control? <laughs> think again. Good luck with that. It was so clear. It was such a clear irony of life um, that... All that there was to do was to laugh and to sort of take it and understand that we're really not in control of anything. So Avram Avinu leaves Haran. That's one of the tests that he is presented with by God. And he takes his wife, Sarai, and Lot, his nephew, and a bunch of people that they have worked with, that they have created a community with, and they all go to the land of Israel, to the promised land. And along the way, Avram meets many new uh, tests and tribulations. So, for example, he gets to Israel and there is a famine there. So instead of being angry at God for sending him to this location where there's nothing to eat, he goes down to Egypt. That's just one example of the test. But the biggest test, the most well-known test, is the test of the Akedah or the binding of Isaac. The last task is that after Avram does not have any children for a hundred years, and at age of 100, uh, Sarah gives birth to her first son, to Yitzchak. When Yitzchak is 37, God tells Avram, take Yitzchak and bind him on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, that's the Temple Mount. And... Uh, raise him as a sacrifice. So the language is very precise. It doesn't say that Avram should um, kill him or he should sacrifice him. It just has to raise him as a sacrifice. So you raise him and then you take him off, which is exactly what happened. But um, I'm not so sure Avram was following the exact wording and the impression that he got was that he is asked to sacrifice his child. So Yitzhak also knew about that um, that uh, commandment, or he figured it out on the way. And Avram and Yitzhak went together for Yitzhak to be sacrificed as a sacrifice to God. And at the end of the sacrifice, obviously he's not sacrificed, he continues to live. God sends uh, Avram a ram to sacrifice instead of Yitzhak, and then Yitzhak is taken down from the altar. Um, but at the end of that story, which is the end of this week's Torah portion, we're told that God says, now I know that you have fear of God. And that's a very interesting way to put it. So why is this story of Yitzhak's uh, sacrifice shows that Avram had a fear of God? Each one of our forefathers and foremothers, actually every single 
person that is mentioned by name in the Torah and in the Bible, in the Tanakh, created a new pathway in the service of God. And this is why they're mentioned. This is why the story is brought. This is why it's significant. Every single one of them created a new pathway for the service of God. And in general, each one of our great rabbis and great holy people of the Jewish history created their own pathway in the service of God. It's like you have a huge, unpassable forest and somebody takes a, an axe and cuts down trees to create a path. So each one of our holy people, of our great rabbis, created a specific path in the service of God that now other people can follow. But especially Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, our forefathers, they symbolize the three most basic Midot, three most basic approaches in any kind of relationship. So Avram symbolizes hesed, that's loving kindness, giving, overflowing, just giving, 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 giving. And Yitzhak uh, symbolizes boundaries, not giving, holding back, withholding. And then Yaakov symbolizes compassion, which is a combination of the two. You've realized the shortcomings of the person, so you realize the boundaries, and you still give them based on the boundaries and the needs. So it's not this overflowing giving like Avram, but it's also not stepping back like Yitzchak. It's a combination of the two. So everything in Avram's life is about giving. It's about uh, being there for the other. Even this week's Torah portion starts with the story of Avram sitting down to rest after undergoing Brit Milah circumcision, and he's sorry, he's depressed because he doesn't have visitors or guests. He cannot do good things for other people. So God sends three angels to show up as um, wanderers, as travelers, for Avram to have somebody to do a kindness for. So this is the state of mind, this is the psyche of Avram, he is always doing kindness. So for a person like this especially, to be asked to sacrifice his only child, look, it's really sacrificing one's only child is an isayon, a terrible tragedy for any person. Certainly for somebody who did not have children for so many years, but especially, especially for Avram, because it runs contrary to everything he stands for, everything he believes in, to his message to the world. His message is all about doing kindness and giving, and he is he's killing his own son, it would so seem. And still God says, although this would have been the hardest thing in the world, the biggest tragedy for any person in the world, but especially for you, you followed God's lead in this. And in that, you show that you have fear of heaven. Fear is the quality of din. It's the opposite of chesed, the opposite of giving. It's not motivated by love, like loving kindness. It's the exact opposite. And still, Avram could transform from his leading character trait, from who he is, to do the opposite, the very opposite, in the service of God. That's a big message for us. Each one of us has a natural inclination, either to chesed or to din, either to loving kindness or to withholding to boundaries. Some of us are more into helping people. Some of us are more into discipline. And 
the truth is that a good balanced place is somewhere in the middle. So how do we develop these two hands? How do we become um, capable of doing goodness and kindness and also ensuring boundaries and discipline, ensuring that there's clarity, that there is order. And this is what Avram taught us. Yes, he's a person of kindness and giving and love, but that doesn't mean that he is not going to be able to go to the opposite extreme if this is so needed. And this ability not to be um, divided, not to jump from one extreme to the other, but being capable of applying the right approach to every situation is that is what is required of us. And that's so important for parents because some parents are very much into spoiling the children and giving, just saying yes to everything. And some parents are disciplinarians and they're constantly disciplining the child. But truly, to create healthy children, to help children grow up in a balanced way, they need both. They need love and hugs and they need discipline. And we need to be able to find the right solution, to craft the right response to every situation. So we're not triggered to act in one way, but we can act in the way that is appropriate for the situation. So this is the story of Avram. Now, how does this apply to these elections? As I said, for the past uh, three and a half years, we had almost five rounds of elections. Uh, not almost, we had five rounds of elections. This was the fifth round of elections. We've had four attempts to elect and form a government. Uh, most of them were very, very narrow and no stable government was ever formed. The last government lasted just over a year and it had two prime ministers and um, there's been a big sway to the other direction. The previous government was formed by people on the left, including the Arab parties, the Muslim brothers, and headed by Lapid, who purports to be a centrist, but he's not exactly. And apparently Israelis have had enough of that government, so now this time around, they chose Netanyahu with a large margin, and especially a lot of people have voted for the party called Tzianut Detit, or Religious Zionists, they're the second largest party in the Knesset with 14 seats. And the two leaders, uh, Betelis Smotrich, who is a lawyer and an ideologue, and Itamar Ben-Gvir. Now, Ben-Gvir has been discussed a lot in different media. He is a hardliner, and he is looking to take the Ministry of Internal, of internal um, Security the ministry that uh, supervises the police, to create more law and order in Israel. Itamar Ben-Gvir has been accused of racism for various statements that he made. He's not a racist and he's not against the Arabs. What he does say is that anybody who does not honor the Israeli state, anybody who does not accept the fact that Israel is a Jewish state, and anybody who is involved in terrorism should be deported from the country. So he doesn't advocate deporting Arabs, he does advocate deporting terrorists and um, cracking down on any kind of insurgents inside Israel, making sure that 
all citizens of Israel, except that this is the country, this is the state, this is what it is, and if somebody doesn't like that and they do not accept Israel as a Jewish state, they don't have to live here. Um, Israel is a Jewish state. This is how it was created. This is how it was set up. It is embedded, baked in, in the Declaration of Independence. Israel's Declaration of Independence uh, sets it up as a Jewish and democratic state. So if somebody doesn't like the fact that Israel is a Jewish state and they want to fight against Israel as a Jewish state, Ismar Bangor says, you're not wanted here, you're welcome to leave. But certainly anybody who does not accept it and uses terror or violence to fight against Israel, these are the people that he says cannot be uh, enabled to stay in this country and create havoc here. So this is his policy, and he has been branded as a racist by the left. But actually, common Israelis love him. And during the elections, and especially the election day, I traveled all around the country, and I've come to many places that are not the natural base for Tzinudetit, for religious Zionists. And I saw families that you would never suspect of voting for this party, holding up the uh, election p um, notes with the name of the party, showing that this is who they're voting for. It was very surprising. But there is definitely a backlash, and a lot of the population wants a much more hardline approach and a much more no-nonsense approach to terrorism and violence. People want more more law and order, more police, more carrying down on crime in general. That's one thing. And the other thing that people want is somebody to take in, to rein in the economy. The prices of housing are going up. The cost of living is going up. And I know this is not just the case in Israel, but all over the world, the inflation is ridiculous. And in Israel, it's actually better than in other places, but still, it's quite expensive. And people want somebody who is going to be very no-nonsense and strong on economy, create more economic growth, rein in the prices, rein in the cost of living. And they trust Netanyahu to do that because when it comes to economy, he is an economic wizard. He stirred Israel through the corona crisis. When many economies went down, Israel was doing fairly well. So these are the two things that the Israelis want. They want hardline um, policies on law and order, and they want somebody who's going to lead a very proactive economic uh, platform and make sure that people have more means to be able to live. So these two um, wants, these two wishes, actually represent the two opposites of chesed and gvura that we discussed earlier. Making sure that people have what they need, making sure that there is more money available, making sure that their prices go down, making sure that people can really afford an amazing life. That's chesed. That's really using the economy to give more. That's what the people want. But when it comes to law and order, terror, and violence, people actually want more din, more discipline, more borders, more boundaries. Um, you know, a harder approach to these issues. And these two wishes seem to be the opposite of each other. But really, they are not. Because when people cannot leave the street, when people cannot go out of their house, when people don't feel safe around, it's 
creates a feeling of scarcity. And so does the fact that people cannot afford what they want. So the previous government, which really did not do so much for the economy, to pull that mildly, who was not proactive, uh, who did not take the right measures to ensure that the economy of Israel really goes up, and who really also did not make sure to create a country that is safe, um, really created a feeling of scarcity, almost survival, among many Israelis. And this was the backlash. The backlash was Israelis said, we want to live a better life, and we trust Netanyahu to create that for us. Whether in terms of economy or in terms of security, we want more. Um, and I really hope that in the coming four years, Netanyahu will deliver on that. This seems to be his last um, term in office. He is 73 going into this office. He will be 77 uh, or 78 by the time he ends. It's not clear. There's a constitutional uh, lack of clarity whether this government will last for four or five years. It's possible that it will last for five years. But Netanyahu will be 77 or 78 by the time he finishes this term. Hopefully that it goes to the end. And his biggest job for this term is to nurture and create a successor. Somebody else who can follow his footsteps, who can carry out the economic policies that Netanyahu has been carrying out to really create more prosperity in Israel. Somebody who knows how to handle the strategic threats, like Iran, for example. Somebody who can create the international relations with the countries like um, Saudi. Saudi Arabia is probably going to be the next country to sign a peace agreement with Israel after the Abrahamic Accords was signed during the last term with Abu Dhabi and uh, Bahrain. So there's a lot that's going to happen during these elections or during this term, certainly on issues of economy, certainly on international affairs, certainly on Iran affairs. And one issue that is also going to come up a lot is going to be the issue of Jewish identity. This previous government has uh, introduced various laws and legislations that it wanted to undermine the rabbinate and to take steps against the Jewish identity of this country. Uh, buttressing Jewish identity of Israel is going to be a major, major job of this covering government. So I really hope that it does the job. I really hope that by the time we come back next Wednesday for this show, there will be a government in Israel. We will know who is handling the various offices and they can start working. And this is an invitation to all of you listening to the show who actually do not want do not live in Israel. This is an amazing time to come and visit. You no, know, it's winter, it's not so expensive. Um, it's not so cold and not so hot. The weather is terrific. So if you've never been to Israel or if you have been planning to come to Israel for a while, this could be your chance. You know, we're past Corona. The, uh, there is no Corona. <laughs> everything is free. Everything is out. Um, and after a long ban on travel, this is an amazing time to come. So if you've never been to Israel, if you'd like to come, this is your chance. It will be amazing to see you here. And um, I would like to sign off and wish you well. I would like to wish you that in this coming week, we all 
practice to use our, so to speak, right hand and left hand, to use both of the approaches of Avram Avino, of loving kindness on the one hand and boundaries on the other hand. And I will see you next week, right here. Have a terrific week. Bye-bye now. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.